type. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. I like how that part of the intro has stuck for two years now. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Because we talk about other things other than gardening, but related to the outdoors. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of Green and Growing. I'm Ashley Frasca here with you until 9 o'clock this morning. And I think my, I mentioned this last Saturday, the two-year anniversary for the show was either February 1st or February 2nd. So right now, with it being February 5th, we're kind of right in the middle of the anniversary. So thank you for keeping me on your radio on Saturday mornings for two years. I've learned a lot. Um, I've met a lot of really cool people, and I hope to continue to do so as the show rolls on. And this is my favorite time of year as well, because people are starting to think ahead, planning for spring, and that always kind of is just a shift in mood, right, with the coming change in seasons. And also, uh, the month of February, there's always the Great Backyard Bird Count, which is a global effort from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology uh, there in Ithaca, New York. They organize a really fantastic uh, program with the Great Backyard Bird Count that happens once a year, and it's two weekends from now, uh, where they ask people to become citizen scientists and count birds only for 15 minutes. You can do it a number of times, but a 15-minute segment's all that's required to count the birds in your area and report back, and they have some great stuff that they do with the findings and the data that they're able to collect, like I said, globally. Um, so I will be speaking with... Uh, Becca Radomsky-Bish from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology next week to get us ready and to make sure you've all got the tools that you need to participate in the Great Backyard Bird Count, which is February 18th through the 21st. And also just talking with friends, fellow gardeners, experts and things about how they plan for spring. So that's coming up here in just a couple of minutes. But of course, wanting to take your calls, 404 872 0750 is the number to get through to Green and Growing. So I do have some news to share uh, with the show just hitting its two-year anniversary. I finally have a logo. Like, that's kind of cool, having a logo that represents the show that can be universally understood. Um, And I'm such a geek. I'm excited to use it on, like, letterhead and thank you notes and all kinds of things. It's so fun to have a logo. Um, So that happened, and it happened in part because... I am now taking over the newsletter that Walter Reeves, the Georgia gardener, put out uh, twice a month, every month for the last, let's see if I can do the quick math here, 18 years, 18 years. And he just recently informed myself and the digital team that in those 18 years that he was putting out newsletters through WSBRadio.com, he did more than 500 issues. So you all have received over 500 newsletters from Walter. And so now the first one for Green and Growing came out yesterday, as a matter of fact. So that's really exciting. I'm happy to take that over. And I'm still definitely going to have Walter's input in a lot of things. Because if you go to his website, WalterReeves.com, it's an encyclopedia. I tell you, there's not a topic that you will not find Uh, there at his website that you're looking for just over the years of all of the articles he's written and the questions he's been asked and the things that he's learned. Um, So I still am going to definitely use the knowledge of the Georgia Gardener. But if you missed the newsletter yesterday, you can see a lot of the content um, on WSBRadio.com when you go to our station's webpage, WSBRadio.com, click on On Air, 
And then you get to see all of our pretty faces, everybody that hosts a show on the station. And you can find me when you scroll down to Green and Growing, and there are the links to the blogs or articles, whichever you'd like to call them, um, the content that I produced for the newsletter. So yay, I'm so excited about that. So kind of making some strides with the show after being on for two years. And of course, you've been a big part of that as well. 404-872-0750. So you can weigh in with your questions, comments, or even advice for us for sure. Um, Something I want to remind you all of is the weather is kind of being funny. Here we are feeling like 19 degrees outside this morning. And then as it's been, you know, during the week, we'll enjoy uh, probably temperatures in the mid to upper 50s, maybe even the 60s. It's just kind of weird, the swing. Um, But a lot of you probably need to know different things based on, you know, what the weather's doing, what the average dew point is or the rainfall totals. Maybe you're kind of keeping a close eye on soil temperature so you know when to start considering, you know, that uh, spring and summer garden Or we're really approaching, starting to think about when we need to plan for that last frost date, right? That way, if we're planning on starting seed indoors pretty soon, we have to count backwards from the average last frost date, which here the last couple of years, it has been anywhere between like April 6th and April 20th or 22nd, just given the part of the state that you're in. And you count backwards from that last frost date, so you know six to eight weeks backwards when you can start seed indoors, baby them indoors for six to eight weeks and make sure that those seedlings are strong enough and healthy enough to then plant outside after the chance of the last frost. So any of these things that you may be wondering about, like I said, it could be rainfall totals, it could be humidity, average temperature, um, go to weather georgiaweather.net. Georgiaweather.net is a fantastic resource for gardeners, for farmers, for other folks in the industry. Uh, georgiaweather.net is just a really amazing site put out by the College of Agricultural and Environmental Sciences through the University of Georgia, and they gather all of this information from various weather stations throughout the uh, the metro Atlanta area and, of course, throughout the state. So that's just a good resource for you to have. Okay, yeah, so speaking of having friends who are garden experts and friends of the show, um, I recently got some comments from Shannon Pabel, Erica Glazner, Walter Reeves and Becky Griffin at the University of Georgia with how they're planning for spring. And if you missed that a couple of weeks ago, I may bring it back. But two other friends who weighed in on the conversation. Mickey Gasway, our friend from the West Cobb Pike Nursery. The first thing I'm going to do, which has nothing to do with gardening, is I'm going to paint the fences that I've got stuff in front of. So I always wait till summer, and then I need to paint them, and there's all this stuff in front of them. So that's going to be the first thing. Okay. Do. The other thing I'm going to do is do a soil test in my in my garden and clean out my asparagus bed. It's kind of weedy right now, so before they start coming up, I want to clean that out. Good morning, everybody. Uh, this is Alan Armitage. It's so much fun for me to share some thoughts about gardening and my good friend Ashley. I live in beautiful Athens, Georgia, and uh, we've had frost, we've had snow, we've had cold, just like you. I'm sort of wondering, now what do I do? Well, here's what I'm doing. If you're a beginning gardener and you wonder, wow, let's just do some common sense things. If you haven't cut back things like roses or other things that could use some cutting back, get rid of those dead leaves because those are the guys that are keeping little bugs around. You know, get rid of all that trash in your garden. Don't need to get rid of the leaves, but get rid of trash. Like leaves that are falling are fine, but trash in the garden. Other things I'm doing, I'm looking forward to getting some compost out of my garden. We have this wonderful soil, I just can't dig in it because it's so clay-like. Get some compost in it. I go and try and get a little pickup load if I can. 
When you do have compost areas in your garden, use it. Compost is black gold. There's a ton of other things I'm doing and looking at catalogs and ordering a few plants. You know, the anticipation is just as much fun as the garden itself. I hope I can share a lot more with you. And Ash and I will certainly get together and uh, have a great deal of fun. Anticipation anticipation is just as much fun as the gardening itself. I love that. Dr. Alan Armitage weighing in on the show. I think he's making his green and growing debut. Uh, he and I met months ago down at uh, former Chick-fil-A CEO's uh, property, Dan Cathy, and it was such an honor to meet Dr. A and really get to talk to him and pick his brain. So we do have a lot of fun planned. We are certainly going to get together at the trial gardens up at the University of Georgia once uh, the weather warms up a little bit and I can head back to the classic city in Athens and have a good visit with uh, Dr. Alan Armitage and bring all of that knowledge back to you. I'm so excited to do that. Uh, 404-872-0750. And speaking of newsletters, mine is, is green. And it's growing since I just put out the first one yesterday. But boy, does uh, Dr. A put out a great newsletter as well. If you don't subscribe to that, I am definitely on his list uh, for receiving his newsletter. And also Joe Lample, Joe Gardner, receiving his updates as well. Usually, it's funny, his newsletter usually comes out on Saturday mornings as I'm on the show. Um, So that gets sent right to my inbox. There are just so many resources and things for you to be following. And also... Uh, subscribing to my newsletter, I do have a section there that's um, classes and garden opportunities. And so I share with you, you know, the the with the advent of COVID the last couple of years, an amazing thing that it did do was I think it brought the garden community closer together and knowledge was much more attainable than it's ever been because everybody having to go with online webinars and things like that to really, uh, you know, be able to to teach some other folks things. So that is still kind of a trend where, yeah, there's some people, garden clubs and things that are meeting in person and, and master gardener groups. But uh, generally, so much of it is universal nationwide. You could be taking, you know, a garden course, sign up for a free webinar uh, given from someone in Delaware or Texas. Or I do a lot through um, the Cooperative Extension of Alabama. So our neighbors right right to the west. So I will make you all aware of those opportunities, free classes, garden experiences, opportunities if you want to get involved. That's also a part of my newsletter. It's going to come out every two weeks. All right, it's time to take a break, and we're going to check traffic and weather. And, of course, I will be back with you with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. Yeah, you may want to bundle up just a bit, but, hey, they hold true for the next week or two if you don't get to them today. You're listening to Ashley Frasca. This is Green and Growing on WSP. So in case you haven't heard, it's going to be cold this weekend. Right now, it feels like 19, 20 degrees, pretty chilly outside, but it's currently at 29 degrees with only a high of 45 later on today. Mostly sunny skies today and tomorrow, a little warmer tomorrow. Highs reaching almost 50. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Green and Growing growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. This is a, a staple of the show and truly one of my favorite parts as well, doing a little bit of research and looking at a few different calendars every week, bringing you this so you feel a little more looped in, so you feel a little more confident. If you know what, I get nothing else done this weekend or this upcoming week, these things. You're not overwhelmed. You're able to feel accomplished. So pretty simple. Uh, number one, you can plant burying bushes right now, trees, shrubs, 
rose bushes, all that can be planted now. But the burying bushes are of particular interest and benefit to our feathered friends. Uh, consider hollies, beautyberry, serviceberry, and winterberry. And not only beneficial for the birds, really, but just really something nice to look at, especially beautyberry with that bright purple berry. It's so beautiful in winter landscapes. Um, and did you know that it attracts wax wings and chickadees and wrens? Uh, you plant something like a flowering dogwood, woodpeckers, grosbeaks, those are beautiful birds as well. Cardinals are attracted and like the the berries of a flowering dogwood, but also just to kind of stay safe in there. Sweet gum. I have a sweet gum tree and I hate it because it drops the little round sweet gum balls uh, that trip me up every single time. But I do find that woodpeckers, jays, and mockingbirds, some of the larger birds, do tend to nest and enjoy being in the sweet gum tree. So there are some ideas for you. Uh, number two, play, pay close attention to your houseplants right now. They're not demanding as much water. So again, you want to keep just sticking your finger down into the top of the soil, almost knuckle deep, to determine whether or not they're in need of water. And you need to be moving those highlight houseplants, if necessary, just to make sure they're getting the most light possible. And I think they're going to be showing you signs, you know, if they're not receiving enough light. That would be my first thing before jumping to the conclusion of whether you're watering too much or too little, making sure they're getting the right light. And I think I had a caller last week about a peace lily. Um, that's a beautiful plant. A lot of folks have kept them alive for years and years and years. And that's kind of a low to medium light plant. So that doesn't require, you know, as much direct light. And number three, uh, I mentioned uh, former Chick-fil-A CEO Dan Cathy. And I say former because he's retired now. Um, so congratulations to Dan. But uh, hanging around with him last year, he reminded us this time last year of number three, when I had a couple of garden visits with him, right now this time of year, he's pruning blackberries and the same for blueberries as well. Start by removing the old canes. That's a great place to start. None of it has the leaves on it right now, so you're really able to get a good look. You can visit extension.uga.edu for publications that have diagrams on exactly how to do it. If you've got a larger blackberry uh, vine and you're just a little intimidated by it. Extension.uga.edu shows you exactly what to be pruning out. And you know what else you can prune now? Melanie on Facebook. I'm really glad she sent me a message and asked me about her gardenia and her butterfly bush. And I said yes and yes to both of those. My butterfly bush, I always kind of just made a mental note that and my roses to do around Valentine's Day, but it's certainly not too early. And a gardenia, if it's really, really large, I would start working at it a little at a time. You never want to really prune off more than a third at a time. So if it's 10 feet tall, start taking a third back. But now's the time to do it. 404-872-0750. I'm Ashley Frask on Green and Growing. So USB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Good morning. We are back on Green and Growing. Thanks for listening to 95.5 WSB. So uh, it's winter and you're not really thinking about fruit crops a whole lot. But you know who is? Growers down in Florida. They have been hit with some uh, problems that I definitely want to make you aware of. Fruit and vegetable prices alone went up by 5% in 2021. That's according to new government figures. And we have a reporter reporting from Florida that orange juice may soon be in shorter supply, making breakfast a little more expensive as well. Florida officials say this 
fruit represents a $6.7 billion industry in the state that supports more than 30,000 jobs, according to the latest figures. But in citrus groves like this one, an invasive insect is spreading a disease called citrus greening to once healthy trees, and that's taking a bite out of the crop. Florida's Fruit and Vegetable Association saying during much of the past two decades, the number of acres harvested for citrus in the state of Florida has been more than cut in half, and some farmers sell their land to developers. And so with me, I have someone from South Carolina and Northeast Georgia. You've heard him on the show before, Dr. David Coyle. Hey, welcome back, my friend. Hello, Ashley. How are you? Very good. And I knew you were the guy, though. You were the guy because we're talking about invasive species, and who better to talk to us about that than you? So I kind of want to tackle this citrus greening and see whether or not it's a concern. And of course, you know, it's it, we don't have as many citrus growers in South Georgia as our neighbors to the south, but then really talk about an invasive pest that we want to be um, kind of aware of that's probably going to hit us soon. But citrus greening, why do we need to be worried about that? Yeah, citrus greening is a bacteria that's spread by this little tiny leaf hopper, a little plant hopper called a psyllid, and it really devastated the Florida citrus industry. You know, you've, you've heard all the numbers about how these groves are dying and horse juice prices are going up. It's completely true, and it's really, really devastating disease. It's probably not going to have a huge impact in Georgia, with the exception of, you know, we've got those Georgia satsumas that they're growing that are getting a little more cold tolerant. That's why we don't have, you know, citrus trees growing in our yard, right? They can't handle the cold temperatures over winter. But anywhere there's citrus growing, citrus greening is going to be a problem. That's just something that's uh, pretty much there. Now, that said, there's a lot of folks working on ways to handle this greening. There's a lot of biocontrol things that are happening. But I will say it's a very tricky disease to deal with. Okay, so we're dealing with that. And then based on, you know, you talking with some of your colleagues down at the University of Florida, some research I've done, citrus grove damage reported in more than seven Florida counties. There's a lot of crops that could be affected by this, this invasive species, something different, though, that you and I were going to talk about now. Lebic mealybug. Holy cow, what's this guy? Yeah, it's the one-two punch, right? So you've got your citrus screening on one hand, and then there's this lebic mealybug. Uh, This is, you know, at this point, it's working its way north through Florida. It's uh, the range is about to Ocala, which if folks aren't familiar, that's about two hours south of Valdosta. Not that far. A mealybug is basically like a little aphid. It's a little tiny plant sucking pest. It puts its little mouth parts into the the plant, sucks out the juice, and then it kicks out uh, essentially sugar water on its back end. This thing feeds on all sorts of stuff, Ashley. They've Uh documented over 140 different genera in 53 families, woody and non-woody, all the citrus, figs, ficus, gardenia, red base, pomegranates, grapes, roses. They've documented this on myrtle oak, so it makes one wonder, will it hit other oak trees? If Mm -hmm. so, all of Georgia is clearly a threat there. And then also on hemp, and of all things, ragweed, one of the most common (laughs) weeds everywhere. So... In my opinion, if this bug will eat ragweed, it yeah. will pretty much eat anything. <laughs> right. So the Lebic mealybug, holy cow, you've spoken to colleagues down at the University of Florida, one in particular who's done a lot of research, and kind of tell us uh, what she's saying about this. I've got that it was maybe first documented in Florida in 2009, but really has become a little more, you know, moved to the forefront here in the recent months. Yeah, her name is Dr. Lauren Diepenbrock. She's at the University of Florida down in, uh, I believe, Winter Haven, down south, or right by Orlando there at the Citrus Research Center, and she and I spoke about this, and this pest is doing a number on a lot of the citrus that she's working on there. It causes uh, leaves to be kind of curled up and funny-shaped, premature fruit loss, which is a big deal, 
One of the big things, you know, we talked about non-citrus things, and I'm thinking about ornamental things that people in Georgia might grow. This bug makes lots of honeydew, and that's, you know, I mentioned earlier, they suck the juice out of the plants on their front end and on their back end. They pretty much poop out sugar water. Mm -hmm. And when this stuff drips out of there, anywhere it gets, a mold grows on it. We call it sooty mold. So you get this black, kind of sticky coating all over stuff. Uh, This attracts, you know, wasps and bees will come to to that sweet-smelling stuff. Ants will do this a lot. They will come uh, to that stuff. These things have a super high reproductive rate. One female can make over a thousand eggs in her lifetime, Ugh. and they can go from egg to adult in about three weeks. Wow! So think of how the populations increase so ridiculously fast, and there's not really great uh, management at this point. You know, it's chemical management that's trying to sort of physically wash off those bugs off any of your plants with soapy water, that type of thing. There's not a lot of good stuff you can do. From Dr. Dippenbrock, some of her research and, and things shown on the website, I was able to kind of see what the effects of this would be. Like you said, he's 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 a mealybug, almost like an aphid in the fact with the sucking part. And when he gets to the fruit, it causes like kind of a distortion or a little bit of a, a, a deformation there and like a bumpy white mold comes on the, the spot where he has sucked out of the fruit, right? Yeah, it makes the fruit look really kind of nasty and disfigured. You know, no one's going to want these things. Um, and so it does two things to those fruit. It makes them look really gross and unedible, but it also, the tree's response to this pest stress is to just drop the fruit prematurely. So they're not even uh, getting all the way mature. They're just dropping these fruit and sort of the tree is what it's basically doing is cutting its losses. So that's what's going to what happens. You see a lot of really weird stuff on the trees that get hit with these things. Uh, they make kind of a, it's almost like they're coated in dirty white cotton. Yeah. That's how I look at it. Um, it looks like there's little cups of dirty white cotton all over the branches and the fruit. And it's going to cause some maybe branch dieback or limb dieback as well. So that's a major stress to the tree. Is it ultimately going to be fatal? You know, I, I don't know that we know that yet, but okay. my hunch is, and, you know, in talking to Lauren, on some of these newly planted trees that are very susceptible, anything like this can, you know, it may not be the direct cause of mortality, but anything like this is going to weaken the tree and it's going to open it up to risk from all sorts of other stuff. Maybe that's ambrosia beetles or not surviving a cold snap. You know, they had a bad cold snap here a week or so ago. Anything like this that sucks the nutrients or the water out of a tree really weakens it and opens it up to all these other issues. Talk to Georgia gardeners, you know, not citrus growers so much here in the metro Atlanta area, but just Georgia gardeners who, like you said, if we were just dealing with a common aphid, you know, that has all these Mm -hmm. same characteristics and causes the city mold, what's a good treatment for that just for our home lawns and gardens? You know, if you have small infestations, honestly, the best thing to do is to take some soapy water and you can wash those things off. And this works for aphids, it works for scale insects, it works for mealybugs. These things are not on there really, really hard. You just take a little rag and you just kind of wash them off and then your problem is solved. If you get to the point where you've got very, very high populations of these sucking insects, then it kind of depends on what you have. And so if you have aphids, those can be treated with any type of topical uh, insecticide, right, because you can hit those pretty easy. If it's something like a mealybug or a, um, a scale insect, those are a little more protected once they settle down. So the timing has to be really good because there's 
only certain times where there's susceptible life stages crawling around before they get settled down. So you need to know exactly what you have. So in that case, you need to work with your UGA extension agent or your, your arborist or whomever you're working with to figure out what exactly do you have on your plant. A couple of really interesting things, you know, if you're trying to figure out what you have, if you have what looks like you think, maybe this is that mealy bug, you know, I saw it online, I heard about it. If you squish these things and they're purple, that is likely one of those mealybugs. Oh. It's a really characteristic color. Um, the other thing that has a, a neat color is a crepe myrtle bark scale. And I don't remember if we've talked about this on this show, no. but uh, this is something that affects crepe myrtles. It's, again, it's a white, little, it looks like a little piece of white fuzz on there. If you squish that thing, it turns pink. So what I'm telling people is if you squish something like that and it turns a really, really bright color, you might want to look into that a little more. Yeah, you want to let somebody know. Certainly that's the way to get in touch with uh, the UGA Extension Service. They would be happy to know that. And you call 1-800-ASK-UGA-1 to find the county agent in your area. Um, Dr. Coyle, let me ask you one more thing. We have had conversations over the past couple of years, you and I, about different invasive species. And I don't know a fraction of what you know about them, but I'm seeing kind of a common theme. And I want to know if you all can explain why a lot of these invasive pests with this Lubbock mealy bug affecting citrus crops and other things being the latest, why do they all come from Asia? What is it about that continent in particular that they, you know, breed so prolifically and then end up over here? Good question. And there's actually a fairly straightforward answer. It's kind of a two-part answer. The first thing is our climate in the southeast is very similar to the climate in China and Asia, right? It's humid, um, very warm, a lot of humidity, a lot of moisture. We've got a lot of the same types of plants growing here, everything from the pines to the oaks to the citrus, they can grow all that stuff over there. So it's a very similar environment. The second part is just trade, right? China's our number one import partner, and we just import so much stuff from there that we're just bound to have stuff come over here accidentally. Mm -hmm. I, I can't think of a single one of these insect pests that came over here on purpose. It's stuff that just stows away. You know, maybe it's on a plant they shipped over that they didn't catch, or maybe it's one of those wood-boring pests that's, uh, you know, sitting there in a pallet that nobody noticed. It's just the sheer volume of stuff coming from that part of the world to this part of the world, along with the perfect climate. If something gets over here from China, happens to get out, boom, it feels like home and it just is able to go do its thing. Wow. Well, if you do any of your work in Florida, maybe in the summer or whatever, you'll have to keep us posted, you know, on what the University of Florida and your colleagues there are kind of finding with this. It sounds terrifying, but it sounds like we're at least a little ahead of it. We're trying. You know, Lauren and I had a chat about looking at some of these alternate hosts and, and thinking about things on, you know, we're thinking coastal Georgia, coastal South Carolina. What do we need to watch out for? We're in a good position right now. We don't have this Levick mealy bug yet, right? And, I, and we know people that have, are dealing with it. So what can we be doing? So that's stuff that we're working on right now. I love it. Dr. David Coyle, friend of the show, assistant professor, forest health and invasive species there at Clemson University, just over the state line. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to educate us about this. Thanks, Ashley. We'll talk to you again. All right. And more of your calls coming up, 404-872-0750. It's Green and Growing on WSB. That was a fun conversation with Dr. Dave Coyle from Clemson University. It's just, you know, something that I heard in the news about that citrus greening and really piqued my interest. And I reached out to our local uh, agricultural folks just to see how many South Georgia farmers, if any, 
are growing citrus crops, and I never got an answer back. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, it will affect your pocket po- pocketbook at the grocery store. So I thought that may be of interest to you. 404-872-0750 is the number to get through to Green and Growing. And the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Our meteorologist, Christina Edwards, says a high only 45 today, but mostly sunny skies. Right now, with it being breezy and chilly, feels close to 20 degrees. A slight warm up tomorrow, mostly sunny skies and a high of around 50. Green, Green and Growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. So really this time of year, prune, prune, prune. That's a lot of what you can be doing unless it's something that is spring flowering, you know, coming up here in the next few months. You do not want to prune that stuff because it's already set buds. But a good one, it's bare and it's easy to see blackberries and blueberries. And you start by, you know, you're thinking of wanting to remove the crossing branches and that are growing into the center of the plant and the old canes. You'll be able to identify that. Uh, You can look at publications online with diagrams of exactly how to cut more monstrous things like that through the extension service. So extension.uga.edu. And you know what else you can prune? I'm glad that Melanie sent me a message on Facebook and she asked me about her gardenia and her butterfly bush. And I said yes to both. You can certainly be pruning both of those now. And something that could be fairly large, like an older gardenia, um, prune it in stages, though. You know, like a rose bush is kind of a lone exception. Like my knockout roses, they're four or five feet tall. They're so forgiving that I'm just going to cut them back here in the next couple of weeks down to the ground. I mean, literally eight or 12 inches high. Um, But a gardenia, something that's a little more, you know, I don't want to say picky about flowering, but um, larger things like that, I'd be a little more careful and always reduce only by a third. So for her large gardenia, I said, you know, right now, just do the pruning, maybe cut a third back. And then again, in the fall, you can take another third. If you're really doing a size reduction, do it in stages. All right. And number two, plant burying bushes. Now I had that in mind for our feathered friends. Good diets for them. Um, Hollies, beautyberry, serviceberry, and winterberry. And the beautyberry, that attracts like cedar waxwings, if you've ever seen those gorgeous blue, yellow birds, uh, chickadees and wrens, and you do black-eyed Susan, that's a fun perennial, and that attracts crows and jays and sparrows. So putting things in the landscape, whether it's burying bushes or perennials that are really going to be attractive to our feathered friends. And number three, pay attention to your house plants. They really tell you a lot about what they need or what they're getting too much of. Uh, They don't demand as much water now as they're indoors and things are slowing down. They're not really an active growth. So be mindful of just the soil by sticking your finger in there and they'll let you know whether or not they're really in need of any moisture. But moving highlight house plants around and kind of spinning them, rotating them a little bit if necessary, just to make sure they're getting the most light possible. And you'll see some of those plants too kind of reaching toward the window, right? So you just kind of do a little 180 degree turn and let them straighten themselves out. Um, Orchids, we had a great conversation last Saturday about orchids, and it's the same kind of thing. Many of you agreed that they thrive on neglect. So that's one of those that you really don't need to be watering a whole lot right now, but I'd maybe start thinking about using some fertilizer because they're going to start setting hopefully new stalks and new stems and reblooming for you, whether it's in the spring or the summertime. So, and something that, you know, you haven't fertilized in a while that you want to, make sure the plant's watered first. That way you're protecting it from getting any kind of burn from the fertilizer. And I do want to talk to you more about fertilizer when we come back. And plus your calls as well, 404 404- 872-0750 Green and Growing on every Saturday morning for you right here 6 to 9 on 95.5 WSB We'll be right back after this
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.